Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to be talking about Man of Steel and character dimension. And as always, if you have any questions that you want to email, uh, email, no, so incorrect. Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Twitter. Tweet. Tweet. Yeah. Uh, if you want to tweet any questions for us to discuss in future podcasts, uh, get in touch uh, with Basim at Basim Story uh, or myself at Lucius Malcolm uh, yes. on Twitter. We do like chatting. Most of my responses will be entirely in GIF. <laughs> I do have a lot of gifts on my phone. You do have a lot of Anyway, gifts. so today we're going to talk about Man of Steel. Yes. And uh, we talked about Columbo and how important one dimension was to Columbo and how the whole story is built out of this one dimension. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to show you what happens when that dimension isn't there. Here, Superman in Man of Steel desperately needed a dimension. He didn't have a dimension. And as a result, Man of Steel fell very flat. Despite the fact that, um, actually, when you really pay attention to it, it's a really insightful, really insightful, one of the best Superman idea stories I've ever seen. Do you think it was just an insightful idea executed not perfectly? I would say it's a, it's a brilliant Superman story executed terribly. I was trying to be um, diplomatic. No, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible because, so, in some ways, the, what they did was brilliant. Some of the execution was brilliant. You've never seen superheroes fight like that before. They made the Avengers look like a bar and brawl with the end of Man of Steel. Um, some of the decisions that they made to build the world, brilliant. The problem is they, they, didn't, they didn't execute it well at all. And so all their hard work was for nothing um, because people walked out angry with the film. And it's not because of what's in the film so much as how that film was told. Similar to Batman v Superman. The storytelling is not so great. Whereas Captain America Civil War, the storytelling is wonderful. And so people don't seem to mind that there's nothing there. Yeah. Whereas for me personally, I much prefer the brilliant story badly told to the beautiful, beautifully told waste of time. Yeah. Um, because I watch things more than once. I like to sit down and repeat things and see it and learn from it. And there's nothing to learn from Civil War. It's not even as in, a, in terms of mistakes. It's not interesting enough. I'm going to quell this rant immediately. Oh, I, that, that, that rant! That rant was done. No, like, I could see the fire in your. No, eyes. no, no. That that rant was like <laughs> I don't really have much more to say about this, and I'm not sure if you want me to keep going. <laughs> no. But, okay, so we're no. not into that. So anyway, so Superman, Man of Steel. Um, they were trying to do some really interesting things. Now, one of the first things they tried to do was give him a morality play. And a morality play is a genre in which um, the character wrestles between uh, w- with a moral dilemma. So you always have a dilemma in stories, right? This is the crisis scene. Yeah. Irreconcilable goods, lesser of two evils, so forth. But the choice isn't necessarily a moral one. Sometimes the choice is just self, others, uh, which person to love in a, a love triangle. It's not always the, a moral choice. But in a morality play, the point is this. They're presented with two options, and they don't know which is the moral option to take. They can't work it out. And so there's an enormous amount of anguish in these types of stories. And so the thing of like, okay, you have to kill a child to save 100 people. Do you kill the child? 
you know, go back in time, you kill baby Hitler, these kind of things. Like, what's the morally right thing to do in this situation? The character has to struggle through, find what the moral choice is, and then do it. And so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to add this morality play to Superman. And um, some people complain, like, well, Superman, that's not the point of Superman. Superman should be light, like a Pixar story would be, or whatever. Uh, you know, he should be like Mr. Incredible in The Incredibles. And there's a part of me that agrees with that. However, to have Superman last more than 30 minutes or two dozen pages in a comic book, you actually have to add something to him. There isn't anything there to last that long. You have to add something. So in the TV series, Lois and Clark, what did they add? Well, they added soap opera elements. It's constant soap opera elements. He's in love with this woman. This woman's in love with him. Mason Drake, Lois Lane, etc. Okay, you remember Mason Drake? Uh, no, I was just... I was smir- smirking. I was smirking because I was just remembering the show and just how much fun it was. Yeah, it was lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, was that show 30 minutes or was it an hour? No, it was a 45-minute drama. But, the yeah. way, but if you remember, Superman was on it f- in that show for maybe five minutes an episode because yeah, yeah. they couldn't afford to do anything Budget. with them, right? Yeah. But So what did they have to do? What did they do to make Superman interesting? Well, they the action was really light it was more of crime when they did stories at all it was like who done it and why did they do it and all that stuff but then most of it was just the soap opera elements yeah and all those relationships so they had to add that to it um but in the cartoon like the superman animated series or in the comic books by and large they don't add much and he doesn't need to have much because the stories are short it's fine but if you're going to make a two and a half hour film out of him well what do you do well Okay, you can you can um uh you can add certain choices to him. The Superman movie, the original one, did manage to draw that out by having his whole origin story. I was just about to make a note of that so we could come back to it, but you brought it up, so yeah. I'm glad you did. The because they're good movies. I mean, the original two. Yeah, the first two. Yeah, were they both written by Mario Puzo? Was that the no, first only one? the first one. Only the first one. William Goldman was offered it and he turned it down. Really? Yeah, he said he couldn't make it work because at the time Warren Beatty was supposed to be Superman. He said I can't make that work. He he was hanging out with Warren Beatty and Warren Beatty was in the Superman costume trying to get used to it and he was. <laughs> So this is this will never work, and then they recast it with an unknown Christopher Reeve surrounded him with stars. And by the time William Goldman heard what they were doing, Mario Puzo had already written the screenplay. They were making the film, and he goes like, "Yeah, that film I would have done." Uh, <laughs> yeah. So how how did they make that uh, last for two hours? Okay, so Krypton, the whole Krypton stuff, Smallville. That's forty minutes. Right. That's forty minutes of him trying to work out who he is, and it's fine, but it's not great then you have i would guess 30 minutes of superman doing superman things and then lex shows up and uh then they have the lex story so if you actually look at it the way that superman solves the problem is by having three stories over the course (laughs) of the film and that makes some sense because superman comics they used to only be eight page stories but you'd have three of them in a comic so they had an, it has a very strong episodic feel. I mean, it's Jor-El for a huge swath of the film. Then it's Pa Kent for a swath of the film. Then it's finally Superman being Superman and doing all the fun hijinks of being Superman. And then Lex Luthor comes along and generates the next bit. So th- that episodic element that's just sort of causally tied to each other made that work. And you didn't have to add so much to him. What they did is they really took advantage of... Uh, his central dimension and they took advantage of all those things his central dimension by the way is the fact that on the one hand he's Clark Kent and on the other hand he's Superman we'll get to that properly in a bit but anyway 
They, that's what they did. But other people haven't done this. Other people have added morality plays, and he's had morality plays in him for a long time. So in the 70s, there was a comic called Must There Be a Superman? And the whole point of it was, uh, I believe it's the people in charge of the, the Green Lantern Corps who police the space police. They say to Superman, look, you helping humans all the time is holding back their progress. You need to stop. And Superman, so there's this moral question, like, is helping people actually hurting them? Mm. Am I doing the wrong thing? That was in the 70s. Then in the 80s, Alan Moore wrote uh, For the Man Who Has Everything, in which the villain... Is this the one with Superdog? No, is that a different that's one? Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Okay. Uh, he wrote those two stories. So in Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, it was the idea it was the last ever Superman story. And um, in that story, he kills uh, the villain of the story and decides that he can never be Superman again and exposes himself to gold kryptonite, which robs him of his powers for the rest of his days. Uh, and um, the for the man who has everything... Uh, it's his birthday, and uh, super, uh, Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman go to the Fortress of Solitude, and he's standing there paralyzed with this flower. It's like stuck to his chest, and it turns out an alien called Mongol has get, pretended that it was sent by like people that he'd saved. So he opened the present without realizing, and it, the plant attaches it to himself and shuts him down, paralyzes him, so that now Mongol can take over the world. And so Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman fight Mongol, and what's happening is Superman. The plant gives you like a hallucination of all your desires. (laughs) So Superman is in this world in which Krypton never blew up. And so he's living on Krypton with a family that he loves. And he starts to realize that it's not quite right. Because there's certain problems like Jor-El was wrong about the planet being blowing up. So he's become a laughing stock. (laughs) <laughs> things like that and he starts picking up something's not right and at the end he's basically having to choose between a fancy world with a son and a wife who he loves and the real world where he's got the duty to save people and in the end he chooses obviously the real world so it's very painful right hmm. so that's the choice for, for Superman in Where'd the 80s and then there was one more really good one one of my favourite Superman stories in the early 2000s called by Joe Kelly called What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Isn't that a great title? Uh, And uh, the story of it is really cool. Um, Superman uh, meets this new team of superheroes called the Elite, led by a British one guy called Manhattan Black. Uh, Sorry, Manchester Black, beg your pardon. And uh, Manchester Black and these guys, these are heroes, uh, but they kill the villains. And they're so ruthless in their killing that villains stop committing crimes, they run away, they become really, really popular. Everyone loves them because they actually take care of the bad guys. And Superman's like, mm, mm, mm. you can't just go around killing people. And so there's this big... And so he's trying to get to the disasters before them to s- stop the disaster before they show up and kill the bad guy. Right? So there's like a race going on between them. And they're getting... At first, they're like, oh, we love you, Superman. But then, like, the elites start going, well, you're kind of annoying us now. And it gets to a point where Superman stops them from killing a bad guy by fighting them. And they're like, okay, right. That's it, mate. Because he's British. That's it, mate. You're done. Tomorrow. Dawn. Right? And it's like, they're going to fight and kill Superman. That's the thing. In front of the full... In Metropolis. In front of everyone. So they have this thing. And, like, Superman is just sitting there... Going like, I don't know how what I'm supposed to do. Everyone wants them... Everyone's happy 
with these guys killing all the bad guys. And I just can't help but feel that that's the wrong thing to do, that you shouldn't go around killing criminals, uh, but that everyone's, everyone's loving it. Am I obsolete? You know? And so they have their big fight. And in the fight, it seems that they kill Superman. But Superman then shows like, no, actually, no, you didn't kill me, but I'm going to kill you. And he starts killing them. Just kills the kills them. And you go, what, what's going on? And then he points out because it's all televised. He goes, no, I didn't kill anyone. It's all faked. I just wanted people to see what it's like when someone just decides, okay, I'm, I'm judge, jury, and executioner. Everyone's fine. You guys are beaten. You guys are done. I've neutralized your powers. I've done this. But... Yeah, I'm. I'm going to stand between up for this kind of stuff. I don't care if I'm not cool. I don't care if people don't like me. I'm not going to let this kind of stuff happen. And this issue was a reaction because at the time there was a comic book called The Authority, which is very popular, where the superheroes went around killing all the bad guys all the time. And Joe Kelly was like, it looked like Superman was old hat. No one really liked him. I mean, this was also the idea for another comic called Kingdom Come. So this idea that Superman, to keep up with people, has to start killing when killing's cool and all this kind of stuff. And so it was an allegory for this thing about the, the old-fashioned principles that you just don't kill the criminals because it's easier than trying to rehabilitate them or whatever. So, and that, that was a really great one, but that's a big morality play, you know? Do you kill people, vigilantes, who are trying to save other people's lives through murder? Like, how does this work, you know? So this morality play stuff has been in Superman for longer than I've been alive. Um, and so it's not... I mean, Superman killed Zod in the comics in the 70s. In fact, all Zod, every Zod story ends with him killing Zod. He kills Doomsday. So this whole aspect of a morality play where Superman kills is not new. It's nothing unique to Man of Steel. It's been around for ages. And no one complains about it. Uh, the Justice League Unlimited cartoon um, w- w- is all about Superman. Uh, Superman's like morality, whether or not he's actually a good person, and the whole government's scared of him. So this Superman is not some alien version of Superman that no one likes. This is actually the most popular version of Superman in the last thirty years, and that that's the one they put on screen. So, um, and ha- and the reason we know that this is the case is in every interview they talk about it, because these uh, elements of this film are directly taken from those comics and those cartoons and those stories, and because Batman v Superman made it abundantly clear this is what they were doing, because in Batman v Superman he's done very well. Yeah, the dimension is apparent. Yeah, so that's the thing, why didn't it work? If all this stuff is in there, I mean, the whole thing about Man of Steel, uh, Jor-El sends uh, Clark from Krypton in Man of Steel, so he would have choice. Pa Kent says, you're going to have to choose. You're going to be good or bad. Uh, Zod says, there, you, you know, either I die or you do. That's all there is to it. Throughout the film, constantly, there's this element of choice, 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 choice. So this morality play thing is clearly in the film, but it didn't come out. And why didn't it come out? Because no dimension. There's no dimension to the character. If there's no dimension... Dimension is the potential well of emotional interest a character can have. Empathy is what you want to feel for the protagonist so that you want what they want to follow them through. But the amount of empathy you can feel, the amount of menace in a villain that you can feel, the amount of an emotion that you can feel in a character is determined by how many dimensions they have. 
And certain genres, you need to have very dimensionalized characters because you're going so deep into the character. Which we mentioned in the Columbo podcast. Right, exactly. Or referenced, at least. Like, education stories, you need exactly. lots. But in other ones, you don't. And But you need at least one for the protagonist. Mm. Because without it, it's hard to empathize with him at all. Because, yeah, you have some empathy with Superman, but not enough. And that's why everyone throughout the film, all the audiences are going, why isn't he saving people when he's saving someone? They're literally saving somebody. Right? And you're going, why isn't he saving people? He's literally doing that right now. Why? Why All this stuff, the morality play, none of this made sense to the vast majority of audiences because, for two reasons. One, he had no dimension, and so there was almost nothing to dimensionalize with. And secondly, because the dimension he normally has, Clark Kent and Superman, was absent. And when you take away... The central dimension of the... I mentioned this in the Columbo podcast. Mm. If you did Columbo and he's not a bum, people will go, well, why is he... How is he Columbo? If you take away the bum detective dimension from Columbo, it's not Columbo. If you take away Clark Kent from Superman, it's not Superman. It's just some other guy with powers. It could be Miracle Man. It could be Captain Marvel. It could be uh, whoever you want. It doesn't mm. matter. It could just be someone new. Hancock. Do you know? It's, yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. But what makes it Superman, Superman's central dimension for his whole running time, which has been almost 100 years, is, on the one hand, he's Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter, takes off the glasses, superhero. That's his central dimension. If you're going to take that away, the audience will instinctively go, how is this Superman? Sorry, I just realized that Hancock was a combination of Superman and Columbo. (laughs) He's a bum and a superhero. Anyway, please move on. (laughs) Oh, no. But yeah, so they took that away. So the audience immediately goes, well, what, how is this Superman? And they didn't replace it. Now, all this moral moral problems, he's morally conflicted. That isn't a dimension. It's just a trait. See, a dimension, as we pointed out, it's a contradiction in the character, right? If a character has no dimensions, what's going to happen? Every scene he's in is exactly the same. So every scene Superman's in, he's morally conflicted morally conflicted. He becomes repetitive. It's like, dude, just sort it out. <laughs> that's why you go like, oh, you know, should I have saved the kid full of, bus full of kid children? Yeah, you should have. Stop complaining. Because it's like, you, you don't get it. There's no there's no element to him. Um, but in Batman v Superman, they did add the other half of the dimension. And the other half of the dimension is he's morally righteous. See, if he's morally conflicted every scene, there's no dimension, he's static, he's uninteresting. But if he vacillates between morally righteous and morally conflicted that's a dimension because in some scenes he's like in batman v superman in some scenes he's going we have to do what's right stop the batman in other scenes he's like i have no idea what the right thing is to do here should i go to capitol hill should i put myself in front of the senate should i try and sort out these problems should i save this thing should i intervene in this area should i do that so he's constantly questioning himself but at the same time he's very very righteous and in batman v superman what's the divide clark kent whenever he's wearing the glasses he's morally righteous so he takes them off he's morally conflicted right he wears the glasses perry this paper is supposed to be about something we can't just let the batman run away takes off the glasses lois is anyone really good in the world Right, and so he has, scenes. which is perfect, right? Because yeah, Clark Kent is supposed to be 
mild mannered. Normally and, he's and normal mild, and yeah, human. And, yeah, normally he's mild mannered, and he goes like, "Gee, Miss Lane," and you know, and he puts up his no- glasses up his nose and all that stuff, and then a Superman is like, "Hey." <laughs> right, but in this one they flipped it around. Clark Kent's not the mild man one. Superman is. Superman's the one who's like, ah, oh, gee, Miss Lane, you really think I should stop those guys? <laughs> Whereas Clark Kent's like, damn it, man, we gotta stop the Batman. Look at him, he's annoying. People like him more than me. Why? He breaks people's backs. He kills them. Look at him. It's like Batfleck. Batfleck is sorry. Well, I think I'm just jealous because he's awesome. Um, <laughs> but so. Um, so, like, in so Batman Superman, that worked beautifully. I mean, Batman Superman was great, and they played that dimension out. Um, this is how I'm... You see, in all the interviews, the writers, Zack Snyder, David Goyer, all those guys talk about what they were trying to do with Man of Steel. In Batman v Superman, they actually did it, and that's why, when you look now at Man of Steel, you go, oh, that's what they were trying to do, but they couldn't pull it off. And yeah. the reason is, seriously, it all comes from this lack of one dimension. Because Superman is never morally righteous in Man of Steel, there's never a situation to play off his moral doubts. So he can, you can never dramatize that he's morally doubted. Because why? He's, n- you never see the other side of it. He's just constantly conflicted. Well, that's just the the monotone. That's the stand, the static of him. So you never notice that he's actually in doubt. Whereas if you have him in Batman Superman, you do where he's like, look. This is the wrong thing that the bat is doing. You know, the bat is dead. Bury it and all that stuff. You're like, wow, Superman's putting his foot down. And then he's like, I think I have to kill Batman and I really, really don't want to. And you go, he really doesn't know what to do now, does he? He hasn't got a clue. Like, he's out of his depth. He doesn't know what the right thing is and so on. So that's the dimension for the character. And um, the irony of Man of Steel, the irony of Man of Steel is the best way to put that dimension in, which they needed to put in, is with, imagine if they had, say, on the one hand, Superman while he was saving people, and other times he was, say, a newspaper man who who wrote Pulitzer winning prized articles on things like why the Batman is a bad thing and why vigilantism is a bad thing and why capital punishment is a bad thing. If, if, if on the one hand, he was Clark Kent... And he made his name for the, at the planet and as a reporter for his stance against capital punishment. And then you engineer that Superman into a situation where the last thing he can do is kill Zod. That really works. Is it apparent? Wouldn't that work? It would work. Is it apparent why they took uh, Clark Kent out? Why didn't he? Yes. Clark? They couldn't. They couldn't make it. They couldn't buy. That Lois wouldn't recognize Clark and and Superman. They thought it was really childish. And <laughs> the problem is is twofold. One, if Clark Kent is in the film before he becomes Superman, there's no reason why she would think he's an alien or anything like that. Okay? Yeah. There's no reason. So there's no problem. As soon as Superman shows up, you can just have a go, oh, it's Clark. You don't have to play up the fun of the secret identity if you don't want to. It does. In Batman v Superman, she knows he's Clark Kent. It's not yeah. a problem. So you don't have to do that, one. Two, um, I mean, you could save that as a fun bit towards the end of the film if you wanted to. You could, there are ways. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to go into here, but I actually have several ideas of how you can make it believable. Um in fact, I don't even have to say one of mine. I can use one that was in a comic book, which was brilliant. Uh, in All-Star Superman, uh, Clark Kent, uh, Superman comes to the, realizes he's dying. 
so he decides to like put his affairs in order and he goes up to Lois and he says Lois I'm Superman and she goes I don't believe you <laughs> and he goes what do you mean you don't believe me say I don't know why you're pretending to be Clark Kent Superman but no <laughs> and he's like but no really I am it's like no what about that time where this happened oh that was a robot that I built to make like, no I don't buy it <laughs> like so he's done it's like she just doesn't it's like you just look like him that's all there is to it she won't believe it which I think is hilarious right um they were worried about Lois looking stupid but there's loads of ways to solve that um without like you could have the thing that Lois realizes Clark has powers before he becomes Superman yeah there's nothing the point of Clark Kent in this situation that I'm trying to express here is not that the fun of the secret identity where Lois doesn't know Clark is Superman the point is Clark Kent is the natural way. This is first of all the iconic dimension of this character. Second of all, if you're trying to put this this dimension in, it's the perfect way to do it, which is what they did in Batman v Superman anyway. Yeah. So, but if they put it in Man of Steel, it does a number of important things. One of them being it gives you a way to put that dimension. Another thing is it lightens the film. It just inherently lightens the film. Clark Kent is just... Like, Batman v Superman is lighter than Man of Steel. And part of it is because Clark Kent, even though Clark Kent isn't funny yeah, in it, right? But it's, like, it's just enough. There's, like, little things, like, when you go, when uh, Perry White goes, where does he go? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, by the way, Lawrence Fishburne is the best Perry White we've ever had. <laughs> he's amazing. I love him so much. And also, he's Morpheus. But still, he's just incredible. Morpheus is Perry White. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all in the Matrix. Leo. This is layered. It's layered. And we did not even know. Yeah. Jason was telling me, and I, I'm going to give him props to this, the perfect Joker for Batfleck, okay. Hugo Weaving. <laughs> and I was just like, he's so, so right. Hugo Weaving would have been... Hugo Weaving would be like, actually, I'm not sure if Batfleck can take on Agent Smith. Anyway, there's a whole dig- digression. Yeah. Forget that. Let's go back to what we were talking about, which is... <laughs> not the dreamcasting. So Clark Kent makes it inherently a bit lighter, which is what the film needed. Plus, Clark Kent humanizes Superman. You see, even if you make him morally righteous and morally conflicted and you don't give him that human aspect, you enormously destroy the morality play. Because the whole point of the morality play is a person, a a human being like us, is given these these powers. What are the different moral obligations that he has because of those powers if he's an alien from Krypton and has no ties to Earth and all this stuff then the human aspect is gone at which point it's like well he has whatever moral decisions you want him to have because you just invented him Krypton isn't real it doesn't matter yeah okay he can have whatever you want just make that up right so you have to humanize him in some way that's that's another big thing so part of the empathy problem is not only that is he not dimensionalized but the, the the human god aspect of the character is part of the dimension as well which in turn comes from the morally righteous morally conflicted Clark Kent Superman it's all essentially variations on the same one dimension so why not just use it it's already built into the character just use it they and by not putting it in the film they completely unended upended the whole film when they put it back into Batman v Superman it worked much better you see yeah so it's just one of those things they made a fundamental mistake the other thing that's super important about Clark Kent is it grounds him because he spends all his time in Metropolis so what happens you care about Metropolis Man of Steel is missing a victim 
And this is hugely apparent in the climax yes. in, the, in the last act. Yeah, because you were saying. Yeah, it's, that was, I mean, that's when I realised there was something hugely wrong with the movie. I mean, I wasn't, I could feel that I wasn't interested through yeah. the movie. I didn't empathise it. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. was just. All, all the criticisms I realised, every single criticism I've ever heard of this film, every one of them would be sold if you had empathy. Yeah. If you have empathy, not one of them would be a problem. Yeah. Um, but it was it was the the climax of the movie when they start fighting, which I know you love as a sequence. I thought, yeah, like because we've not seen it before. No, but whilst these guys are just throwing each other around, yes. um, Metropolis. I mean, one, I didn't even realise it was Metropolis. Yes, um, and secondly, I I actually switched off because yeah. I was watching it at home. I could, if it's I was in the boring, cinema, right? I would have watched, you know, yeah, watched it. But I did just sort of switch off until, yeah. The big moment with Zod, and then he snaps his neck, and he's like, no, and I thought, I don't care. Yeah, because you didn't. I no. didn't care. But what I was, for me, what I loved about it the first time I saw it was, it was a payoff that really ex- exposed the shambles that is the Avengers. <laughs> Because that one, like, you had these... You slam that movie more and more every time it's brought up. Okay. That film has loads of cute moments in it. Both both Avengers 1, 2, and Civil War. They have lots of cute moments in them that I really like. I genuinely like. But as soon as you start realising these are supposed to be the big payoff movies of the franchise, that they were building up to these films for years across multiple franchises, Mm. building up to the Avengers, Avengers 2, Civil War, and you realize how pitiful a payoff they gave you. Man of Steel, that fight, the end of Zod, with the Zod, is the Superman fight people have been arguing for since the the 80s with Superman 2. When Superman Returns came out, people complained where was the big fight at the end. Man of Steel gave us a action superhero fight of a scale and like they went. What would really? What would this really be like? Well, it would be terrifying. It would make nine eleven look like a joke. Like the the, the shit. I remember seeing the buildings collapse and I was just agog. I was like, I've never seen even in disaster movies. It doesn't seem like this. It was just incredible to watch. That stuff. But... As a payoff, I was yeah. so impressed. But you didn't really feel much. No. And that's the problem. The exactly. excitement and The excitement you felt came from the setups coming from outside the movie. Exactly. And also, uh, well, and also you can tell Batman v Superman when they play it with Bruce Wayne's point of view. Yeah. Okay, if you watch The Man of Steel fight now, it is ten times better. Yes. Because guess what's there? A victim. Victim. Right? Yeah. All right? There's a victim there. Now, here's the thing. In action, why do you have victims? So this was the thing when I was doing my action research was I realized that there's three roles you need to tell an action story. By roles, I don't mean characters. So the characters can combine them. You can have multiple characters filling one role. They're, it's a functional thing. So you need a hero who's, per, who's the protagonist, who's pursuing the object of desire, which is to stop the villain and save the victim. Because the villain is trying to do something that will, in turn, hurt lots of people. Kill lots of people. Whatever that is. So you have those three. And here was the thing. Why do you need those three roles? Why can't you tell a hero versus villain story? Well, you actually, technically, you can. It just won't be very good. Fast and the Furious. Okay? There's no victim. Yeah. What's the problem? If there's no victim, what makes a hero a hero? A hero sacrifices himself for others. What makes a villain a villain? A villain sacrifices others for themselves. The victim is what's sacrificed. The victim is sacrificed for the villain. The hero sacrifices themselves for the victim. In other words, if there's no victim, a hero can't be heroic, a villain can't be villainous. 
There's no victim in Man of Steel. Superman can't feel heroic, which is what people are complaining about. He doesn't seem heroic. Why? Because there's no one he's saving. What do you mean? Saving this individual, that individual. He's just saving people that we don't know anything about. It's like him saving pot plants. They're not real people. This is the problem with lots of disaster movies and they blow up cities. It's like, you don't feel for it because you don't care about it. Point I mentioned to you before. Yes. Uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. Yes. When the uh, right. Starkiller base is fired up for the first time and destroys planets. When you watch that, again, you feel like, okay, who who, who was that? Right. There's no tie. You don't... But in Star Wars... Alderaan... Is tied yeah. to Leia. Yeah, exactly. You have Leia exactly. watch it happen. Exactly. And it means something, right? Right. And so, but also, here's the fun thing. Zod doesn't work very well because for the same reason. He just seems gratuitous and stupid. Hmm. When you go, every action I take, no matter how violent or how cruel, is for the greater good of my people. I'm going to take them all from you, Kal-El. And you go, you're kind of being a prick. You've just heard um, one of Basim's top three go-to impressions, by the way. Zod, Heath Ledger Joker. I'm going to be honest, the reason people tune into this is for those impressions. <laughs> it's okay. for those impressions. Excellent. Yes. A bit of Christopher Walken here and there. <laughs> a little bit of, A little bit of Bane. <laughs> Bane is Bane is in your top three. Bane, if I could get away with it, I would just be Bane, just forever. Yeah. But anyway, that Why was not? nothing there. So Zod is doesn't seem very villainous because he's not really exploiting people in the way that you expect. So, but if he was Clark Kent and we'd seen him be in the Daily Planet, bear in mind that the Daily Planet has the best Perry White we've ever had, <laughs> the best Lois Lane. We've, Amy Adams is Lois Lane. They've never had an actress of that quality play Lois Lane. Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne is Perry White. Before in Superman Returns, you had Frank Langella. Frank Langella's amazing. You know, Perry... These are, this is a great cast. Why not exploit it? Have it be set in Metropolis. We care about Metropolis. We care about Lois. We care about Perry because Superman cares about them. Further, furthermore, uh, or you can use Smallville and make him care about his Mark Kent and yeah. Kent or whatever. But the point is, like... You send him in a place, you keep him there, that becomes the victim. So when the big fight at the end of the film is in Metropolis, you care about Metropolis because you spent the whole film seeing it. But what we actually had was Superman wander the planet, interacting with nobody for no reason for nothing, constantly going, yeah, I'm a bit morally conflicted, being totally static. And so all their brilliant insights into this character, and this is what I'm trying to express, it's, the problem with Man of Steel is not that the people running it were stupid and didn't understand the character. Far from it. They actually really did understand the character. They came up with a brilliant take on the character that is really fresh, new, and had they done it properly, would have been the best Superman film we've ever had. This, this, is, this is what I'm trying to explain, because it's such a good example of how important one dimension is. Yeah. Columbo. The whole character, the series, is built on one dimension being perfectly executed. The whole problem with the current DC cinematic universe is them trying to fix the fact that their first outing had no dimensions. This is how important one dimension is. I can't make it any clearer. <laughs> like, can you, can you imagine one dimension would have totally changed the trajectory of the DC universe and this huge multi, what, billion dollar franchise? If Man of Steel was a success, do you think people would have looked at Batman vs Superman in a different light? Or do you think they're just unconnected? I think it, I think if, uh, if, if Man of Steel had been a success, uh, Batman vs Superman would have changed everything. Uh, a civil war would not have done well. I reckon. 
Yeah? Yeah. Because I reckon, no joke, when you when you really pay attention to what they were trying to do, please, I have to make this clear, Man of Steel is not a good film. <laughs> right? What they were trying to do was brilliant. And they failed. Okay? But if they had succeeded, if they'd had enough insight into their craft and realized how what they were doing was wrong, if they realized, say, for example, copying the formulaic plot of Batman Begins by having flashbacks as he wanders the world is not appropriate for Superman, if they'd realized that they hadn't dimensionalized the character, if they'd realized that by not dimensionalizing the character, they'd lost the victim, and as a result, they couldn't have a proper action story to make it work, if they'd realized all these things, Man of Steel would have taken a sense of seriousness that the Dark Knight gave the Batman films. Yeah. And what that would have done is it would have had the effect Breaking Bad has had on television, which is people won't tolerate. Like I, I sometimes I watch a show that's new and I'm like, how can how is this being made in a post Breaking Bad world? We know what what we're capable of. We're not going to settle for this. Anymore. Okay, I see your point now. So Civil War, people would have gone. We've moved past this, guys. We've moved past people just punching each other over nothing. Yeah. You've got Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris... Uh, well, no, Chris Hemsworth isn't in it. But you've got um, uh, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Speaking of which, I've just seen the mini mockumentary about what, what Thor's doing. Uh, if you guys haven't seen what Thor was doing during Civil War with Chris Hemsworth and Mark Ruffalo, it's one of the funniest things. Yeah. It's so good. But So in this film, uh, but you have, you have a, a fantastic cast. They're all amazing. And I'm sitting there going like, I feel bad for Chris Evans because he's not being given a role that's good enough for him. I feel bad for Robert Downey Jr. for having to try and use subtext to justify a complete 180 degree turn in his character that has no setup hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So, um, that that I'm saying if if, if yeah. right, I can imagine it. But then I can also say if it'd been done right, yeah, unicorns would be real, and we'd be riding rainbow bridges to work. Like whatever, I can make up whatever I want. It's a hypothetical, but I I honestly feel like it could have raised the bar. But it's it's not quite the same because you're what you're saying is um, if they'd managed to yeah. uh, delineate the character properly and yes. use the dimension that you know is there because it's in the, the movie afterwards. Yes. like they have fixed it. Yes, to a certain extent. Yeah. So it wasn't that far from being no. a, a great movie because all the groundwork was there. It just wasn't right. delineated yeah. properly. And then and then you have to kind of explain to Zack Snyder that. Um, you have to you you can't just just as the character is one note Zack Snyder's directing is kind of one note in that it's always very very operatic and very very grand he's one of those people like you know this is Spinal Tap turn it up to 11 <laughs> but, like, but if you leave it at 11 there's a problem which is what happens you see because you know the, the music is so loud that's very Hans Zimmer you know the, it's just constantly loud music and it's just too much you have to have quiet scenes you have to have funny scenes. It doesn't mean you have to have laugh-out-loud slapstick comedy. You just have to vary the tone. Christopher Nolan doesn't get this either, who was also a big part of Man of Steel. It was all one note. Like, Dark Knight. People don't realise there are more jokes in Batman v Superman and Man of Steel than there are in Dark Knight. Yeah. Right? It's not funny, the Dark Knight. So... That tonal problem is a, is a... But that's not to do with storytelling. Story, rather. That's to do with storytelling. That's the director issue, which I'm not going to talk about, really, because I'm not as qualified on that. But do you see my point, right? So... I think the big issue here is that you missed a, a, a joker pun. Which was? Well, there's no jokes in Batman uh, The Dark Knight. But well, there but is the, a joker. Waka waka. It's true, but even he... He makes that point, remember, when he walks in and he's just ah, 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 ooh, ah, ha, ee, ooh, ah, 
ha and I thought my jokes were bad. And there's number two. Dude, you set it's... me up. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm taking it. I'm you taking put it in there. I'm like, you know, he said he makes all those things. It's a funny world we live in. All that stuff. So he's, he's like, Heath Ledger's fun, but he's not funny. No. Right? Um, and so... Uh, th- so there's a tonal problem, which is also one note, but that's that's not to do with the structure of the writing. So if, even if you solved all the writing, you still have a directorial problem with both of these films, Batman and Superman and Man of Steel, which is it's just the same note over and over again. You have to change the tone of certain scenes without changing the without well, making it completely Batman, inconsistent. Batman and Superman, as you mentioned earlier, has those lighter moments. With it does. Perry. It's, it's much better. Yeah, on, a, on every level, it's much better. But still. You look at that. I'm not saying it has to be light. I'm saying it has to have a variation of tone. Yeah. If you look at Civil War, they did that really well. Yes. Right? The scenes, they go from really funny, amusing scenes, and they manage to dovetail back into really serious drama, and they dovetail, yeah. they do it really, really well. Something kudos gen- where kudos to go, something right? Something that's generally done well in every Marvel movie. Mar- Marvel movies are, are, like this, uh, are like Spielberg movies. Nothing to say... Brilliantly so said. Yeah. Like, they are constantly telling their stories really well, but their stories aren't very interesting. Whereas the DC Universe movies are, with the exception of Suicide Squad now, unfortunately, which is not good <laughs> on any level, really. I'm really disappointed with that one. We're not going to talk about it. Anyway, um, so my point is, uh, there's even if you fix all the story problems, there are still other problems, but we're just focusing on the story problems. And... They had a lot of brilliant things in it. And the best example I think we should get to at the end yeah. is this. The one thing of Man of Steel where everything actually came together and did work is Park End. Kevin Costner's Jonathan Kent is the best Park Kent. It is the most insightful Park Kent. And to my mind, it is the heart of this film. Because this, all this stuff they tried to get out, they got out with Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner acted it brilliantly. A beautiful performance by Kevin Costner. Uh, he drives the beginning of the film with his own morality play. Okay, uh, Ke- Jonathan Kent is that dimension. He's morally conflicted and morally righteous at the same time. On the one hand, he's incredibly conflicted. So conflicted that when his son says, what was I supposed to do? Let the, let the kids die. And he goes... Maybe. And Kevin Costner does that scene beautifully. People think like he's saying, yeah, you should let the kids die. No, no, no. He said maybe. He doesn't know. He doesn't know the answer to this question. But at the same time, as conflicted as he is, what's the right thing for you to do? Because this is more than just about a bus full of kids. This is about the future of humanity. At the same time he's morally conflicted, what should you do? He's also morally righteous. You have to keep yourself keep yourself secret because of the moral implications of what you are and what you can do. So he's absolutely convinced, so convinced that he lets himself die rather than risk exposing his son to the world. He lets himself die because he's like, he's not ready yet. The world isn't ready yet. I have to go, Mm. right? Which is an incredibly morally righteous, heroic choice. But at the same time, he's very conflicted because he doesn't know how to advise his son. He doesn't know what to tell him. He just keeps telling him over and over again, system, son, you're here for a reason. I don't know what that is. I don't know if you're going to be good, if you're going to be bad. But all I do know is no matter what happens, you're going to change the world. So just try and wait until you're ready. And then and then something comes along and he lets himself... It's just beautiful. And, he, and Kevin Costner does it beautifully. 
Right. And steals he's still, the second movie. He's the man of stealing scenes. Hey. Uh, he, he does, and in the second, and you're right, in Batman Superman, he steals the scene again by talking about the farm that he saved. Because I saved our oh, farm. That, yeah, but that's... I accidentally destroyed another farm. And you're just like, the, the whole film, that's the whole film. Yeah. That little story is the whole film. This is, this character, Park Kent, is the whole world of this the version of Superman and it's a beautiful version of Superman and because it's not one that says uh, Superman it, it doesn't want to go down the black and white route it's trying to do it, but do it properly it's like you want to do the right thing but you don't know what the right thing is because as you're all powerful but you're not all knowing you're mm. not all wise and sometimes you'll do the right thing for the right reasons and guess what it still goes wrong and that is a brilliant insight into Superman that I've never seen before. No one's ever really said that. What must there be a Superman is the closest you got, and that involved had to involve space aliens saying Superman, rah, right? This one is just like no. This is just from a humble farmer who's kind of just aware of what the problem is, and he drives a morality play at the beginning of the film, and that morality play, unfortunately, all the ex- uh, emotion in that is totally ruined by the cutting back and forth through time. Yeah, but if they played it straight. You would have had that that momentum of emotion build because um, the the moment the tornado scene, there's two crises going on. It's this morality play from both their points of view. Clark can has a choice: expose himself and save his father, trust his father, but let his father die. And he has the choice: ask his son to save him, tell his son not to save him. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. And here's the thing: here's why it's so brilliant. Park Kent in the comics has always died (laughs) from a heart attack. And the reason he dies from a heart attack is for one important thing, which is to teach Superman that you can't save everybody. That's the point of Park End. That's why he dies. Son, you are here for a reason. (laughs) Dies. Why, Superman? You're here to save people, but you can't save everyone. And what's the lesson? You can't save everyone, Superman, because things are mortal. Things die. That's that's so banal. I mean, that might work for, for when you're six years old and you've got eight pages to read and you're learning how to read at the same time. That is not insightful, <laughs> right? That's not insightful to anything. It's not particularly moving. It's not... T- okay, I'm being harsh, but it's nothing amazing. This one, though, he dies. And he dies saying, Superman, you can't save everybody. You can't even save the people you love. But why can't he save them? Not because he's not powerful enough. He's Superman. He can change time. Like, he's Superman. He has superpowers coming, uh, changing all... The- uh, Superman! Of course he can save everybody. So, it doesn't make any sense to say, oh, Superman, you can't save everyone because people die. He's Superman. Just goes back in time. He just does this. He does that. He has Kryptonian technology. He can save everybody. Like, of course he can save everybody. It's ridiculous. He's immortal. Like, he can do whatever he wants. It's ridiculous. So, it's... it's even As a life lesson, it could be interesting, but not for Superman, Right? This one, he dies. You can't save everyone, Superman. Why can't you save everyone? Because it's not always the right thing to do. Because sometimes you have to make a choice between who you can save and who you can't save. That was weird. That was an enormous bang from elsewhere in my house. Yeah, and I, it's a ghost. Right, it's the, clearly the, um, the ghost of, explanation. The ghost of Park End. <laughs> He's very happy with us. Yeah, um, this is the ghost of Park End from the original movies. He's very angry with you that you slammed. Yeah, but the ghost, the, the ghost of uh, the ghost of the Man of Steel, Park End, is like fighting him. So Kevin Costner's in my house fighting old Park End. Yeah, and he's doing a good job because of Kevin Costner. He was Robin Hood. He took on Alan Rickman. Where's so, Alan Rickman now? 
right? Park Kent with a bow and arrow. Yes. Ghost Park Kent with a bow and arrow. We may have diverted slightly because of a slight... But, but anyway, <laughs> so let's get back to it. Okay, so, um, but th- as I was saying... <laughs> as I was saying, my, my point. Uh, S- Park Kent, in this film, he dies. He tells Superman, you can't save everyone. Why can't you save everyone? Because you, as Superman, have to make the choice between life and death. And that choice is not easy, and sometimes you can't save everyone because it's not the right thing to do. It's not the right thing to save everyone's life. It's not the right thing to save Zod's life, because Zod is going to kill everyone else. So to save them, you have to take someone else's life. Boom, 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 boom. That moral dilemma merged with the action story. Remember, it's about life and death. So the morality of what's the moral thing to do in relation to life and death, beautifully combined together inside Park Kent, and it's built out of the central reason Park Kent exists in the Superman mythos at all, which is to teach Superman you can't save everyone. So Park Kent is absolutely brilliant. It is the best Park Kent we've ever had on on every level. And Kevin Costner is excellent as Park Kent. Like, he's amazing as Park Kent. Like, his subtext, his body language, the way he does it, the way he plays the moral conflictedness of the character, and at the same time plays the moral righteousness of the character, constantly moving back and forth. He's the most dynamic part of the film, he's the most interesting part of the film, and in Batman v Superman, he steals the scene he's in. He's so well done. In Park Kent, they got everything right. Everything they were trying to do, they got in Park Kent. And so when I say if they'd got everything right, it would have changed things. The whole film was the quality of Park Kent. Well, forget about it. It would have been incredible. But they didn't. They messed up yeah. uh, because they couldn't work out how to make the glasses work. <laughs> and uh, that's and so I'm just pointing out how much they lost from one dimension, how important. So if you're sitting there and you're writing your story and you've, you're thinking, how many dimensions does my character have? Depending you still, on genre. You just stole on my line. What? Which was? Well, the, what do we take for our own writing? Well, this is what it's we like take. It's like the for. only reason I'm here. It's true. It's to occasionally go, okay, wrap this up. And also give me segues to do impressions. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could say that in, a, in other ways, you are the bane of my existence. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I knew a- you were crowbarring <laughs> towards bane. <laughs> Oh, you knew it was Bane as well? Yeah, I knew you were going for Bane. I think you knew it was Bane before I said that. Because I didn't know I was going to say Bane until I said it. I knew. That's your other go-to. Oh, man. You know me very well. (laughs) It's your own fault. You should just, you know, you shouldn't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Oh, yeah, over to Gandalf. Outside the box. Didn't see that coming, did you? I did not. Uh, but yeah, so what do we take away from our No, my, uh, go on. I, go on then. You ask me. Well, now we know it's coming. It's just uh, what do we take from our own boat? Oh, I can't even say writing. I've ruined it. <laughs> In one job. <laughs> In one job. <laughs> In one job, and you couldn't do it. <laughs> but just carry on. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> have you forgotten what we take for our no, own writing? No, I haven't. Yet? I'm just thinking it's quite funny. Because, like, on the one hand, we're so serious and professional. And then on a dime, we start talking about ghosts. Uh. <laughs> Here I am going, like, I could have saved the entire DC universe and by extension all of action cinema. A door slammed. Quick, let's do some Gandalf impressions. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just such a dichotomy. That's a dimension. Booyah! Boom. Professional and silly. Booyah! There we go. Um, so what do we take away from our writing? For our writing, what do we take away? So you've got your characters. You look at your characters. 
If they have no dimensions, they're static. Every scene they're in, they'll play exactly the same way. Even if you sat down and said to yourself, this character has a dimension, has it actually come out in the story? Because if you don't have enough dimensions, bear in mind the number of dimensions you need, minimum, for action in your protagonist is probably one or two. That's the minimum, and the maximum is probably two or three, okay? So if you have two dimensions for a full-length action story, that's all you need, okay? But Reference point, John McClane. John McClane's two, two dimensions. Batman in the Dark Knight is two dimensions. Each character in the Guardians of the Galaxy is two dimensions. Yeah. Two dimensions is kind of the standard. Uh, one dimension is the bare minimum, but acceptable. Um, all the characters in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol have one dimension. It's the example. same dimension as well, just realised yeah. differently. It's the same two dimensions in the Guardians of the Galaxy cast, but they're all variations on the same two dimensions. Sure. So that makes sense for an ensemble. But um, yeah, so one dimension is the sort of bare minimum, Two dimensions is standard. Three dimensions is possible. Like, you can do that, particularly if you're doing sort of a long-form story or if it's a bit longer than usual. Certain epic stories might have multiple-dimensional characters. I think, I would I would think, although don't quote me on this, but I would think Gladiator has more has three dimensions. Sure. Um, and there might be a couple more. I know there's a better go-to example than Gladiator, uh, but I can't think of one at the moment. Um, oh, The Man Who Would Be King. Okay. Which is brilliant. Uh, Khan... Wrath of Khan. Uh, so it, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, is my point. Um, but mi- minimum is one. Minimum is one. Th- if you're it, three, any more than three, three or more, and you're probably pushing into high adventure, which means you're going to drop the excitement anyway and merge it with inner conflict and so on, which gets me to my next point. But if you're doing a story on inner conflict, education stories, redemption stories, yeah. for a full length story, you're looking at four dimensions as the minimum. Yeah. Okay. So the so all I'm suggesting is when you look at it and you, you what you need to do is you need to see what genre you're writing in or combination and then just actually note the dimension seen in films and see what an average is right and so you have like a kind of an idea of what the average should be hmm. and then you're, you but what I'm trying to point out here with Columbo and with Man of Steel one brilliant dimension is enough for crime action etc those kind of genres one brilliant dimension and you can make a character that people love. You don't put in the right the, the, a dimension, and you can destroy even the most brilliant ideas for a character. And there's a difference as well. This is uh, the trap you fall into when you certainly start on an idea. Is that there's a difference between, um, say, another character telling another character that he has yes. a dimension, and actually the character having a dimension. Exactly. And yeah. Man of Steel is an example of yeah. of that. Yeah, they 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 walk around acting as if the character is morally conflicted and very deep. Yeah. But in actual fact, he's incredibly static. Yeah, and has no, no, nothing going on. Uh, so you writing down my character yeah. has this dimension doesn't give the character the dimension. Yeah, they, they you would need have, yeah. the scenes which d- delineate the. They character. would have thought he's a really deep three-dimensional character with a rich backstory, without realizing that a backstory isn't dimension and doesn't matter. It's just yeah. exposition. And two, I mean, obviously it matters in terms of storytelling, but it doesn't matter in terms of interesting character. And two, they don't know what a dimension is. They think he's three-dimensional. Why? Because he has a history? That doesn't make him three-dimensional. He's got nothing in him. Um, They would have thought the same thing about probably Batman in The Dark Knight, but Batman's two-dimensional. He has two dimensions. On the one hand, he is foppish billionaire Bruce Wayne, and on the other hand, he is the grim vigilante, the Dark Knight. And the other dimension that he has that is unique to The Dark Knight is on the one hand, he is desperate to retire. Whenever he's with Rachel Dawes, he's like, Rachel, I don't want to be Batman anymore. And she's like, okay, 
That was more Pete Holmes Batman than... There is no other Batman. Batman. <laughs> uh, there's him and Ben Affleck's Batman, and that's all there is. And then, But on the other hand, so he's desperate to retire, but on the other hand, everyone else, like the Joker goes, why don't you just give up? And he's like, never. I'll never give up. Never, ever, ever. And Alfred's like, sir, you mustn't give up. You know, And he's just like, I'll never give up. Sorry, this is overkill. It's true. Just, I, I didn't. I didn't even. I. Not, I wasn't even thinking about the impression stuff you were talking about earlier. I was just doing it. This is how I talk now. But like, that's his dimension, right? So he's constantly wanting to give up, and he's constantly wanting to refuse to give up. So that that's it. That's all he has. That's the Dark Knight. There's no other dimensions to that character. He hasn't noticed none of those dimensions are internal. He's not like racked with inner conflict or anything like that. So just saying a character. You're right. Saying my story is about X, that my character has this trait, that, that's not the case. They actually have to have it. Man of Steel, they were convinced they had all these brilliant ideas, and they had all these brilliant ideas. They're just not in the film, because they didn't know how to dramatize those things. They didn't know how to delineate a dimension in Superman, and so all that moral d- dilemma and all that stuff never played out. You had no empathy, you had no victim, so you couldn't be heroic. If you can't be heroic and the villain can't be villainous, then the moral play doesn't work. None of it works. And the only place it did work was Parkhead. That's it. So that's how important dimensions are. Boom. Yeah, yeah boom. Do you want to end on... Uh, what? Get, get, go for Bane. Let's end on a bane. <laughs> I had no desire to do bane at all. Uh, well, the, I th- we've heard the rest of your repertoire. I oh yeah, and I, did Chris, I did do Christopher Walken. I didn't do Rickman. <laughs> I got loads. I got loads. I did do my Javier Bardem. Sign, o- sign off on a bane. Come on. Sign off on a bane. Sign off on a bane. That, that, that's all, folks. <laughs> 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 I can't seem. <laughs> <laughs>